0: Welcome to a new episode, Riding Unicorns is the podcast where we celebrate high growth businesses and the people behind them. Today we have Jonathan Keeling, VP Commercial at Crowdcube. Crowdcube is Europe's largest equity investment platform. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan.
1: Thanks, James. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. So, Jonathan, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and how you've ended up at Crowdcube?
1: Cool, yeah. So I've been at Crowdcube for four and a half years now. I was first exposed to crowdfunding in my previous startup. I was part of the founding team at a clean technology company called PaveGen. We make floors that generate electricity. Um, Still involved now as a a shareholder. Went through multiple phase investment rounds. It's a hardware business and um, it was hard it was a real experience. We raised on Crowdcube so I've experienced the crowdfunding process from client side and it was really at the sort of height of the hype in 2015-2016 when it was really kicking off and we raised over two million quid. I've really sort of caught the bug at that stage. Transitioned out of PaveGen and joined Crowdcube as Head of Partnerships. As I said I've been here a while and now I'm responsible for partnerships I'm responsible for post funding so looking after our ecosystem of funded companies. We have over 800 companies Companies. We've raised collectively over half a billion for those businesses who have subsequently gone and raised over two and a half billion in follow-on globally. So really looking after them, nurturing them, getting them back to fund more on Crowdcube. And I'm also now responsible for our campaigns team. So when, when companies decide to raise on Crowdcube, I look after a team who help them execute it to the best of their ability.
0: Amazing. And it, it's 2020 and it's been quite an incredible year for yeah. lots of people. But for Crowdcube, it's been a really exciting time. So are you able to share some of the success stories and what's happened this year in the crowdfunding space?
1: Yeah, look, I think for startups and businesses at large, March was really scary. And we went into that process, the same as everyone else, really worried about where our business was going to be, what we needed to do to not only help our clients through the process of COVID, but equally our own business. It was difficult. We were looking at all of the different options that the government had put in place. And we were a big part of lobbying for the future fund that it still exists. And it's been now extended through to November. So we launched a campaign called Save Our Startups. We headlined that alongside Piles of different amazing partners in this space. And we had over 10,000 signatures to, to take to the government to really push for more package support. A lot of that has helped with giving confidence to the startup community. And I guess by March, April, by the end of April, really, what we saw is that startups had really figured out what was going on with their business, whether they had to pivot, what they needed to do to make sure that they were going to get through. And confidence came back and people. We're looking to raise funds again. The reality is, for many startups, they have a certain runway and funding couldn't stop. And once that confidence started to come back and they saw founders funding successfully, we had a massive wave of businesses um, looking to fund. And I think at the beginning of the crisis, we were talking about a bounce back, and the bounce back for crowdfunding was massive. There's no doubt about it. Fast forward to now, we've funded over 120 companies since lockdown, we've raised over 110 million for those businesses. And we've seen late stage, really interesting, mature businesses that frankly, probably would have otherwise have raised from VC, really smashed crowdfunding rounds. So we've had Moneybox, Chip Financial, What Three Words, Free Trade, all of these businesses raising there, there are about 7 million plus each, 10 to 1000s of investors coming in alongside institutional money. Look, it's been a roller coaster, Crowdcube ourselves, we've flipped and changed the way we, we were targeting what we were trying to do. And our focus was on our community, like how can we help? our companies in the best way possible and a lot of the other activity the business as usual activity that we did was very much focused on companies within our portfolio already that we could help with bridge finance via their already quite big shareholder bases from previous fundraisers so that was also really really successful look we'll continue to do so and I think Q4 is going to be another big quarter for us so it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, and you touched on a couple of things there, and notably that there's been a a rise in consumer tech funded through crowdfunding. What do you put that down to?
1: I guess, look, broadly, there's two main categories for us that have shone above everything else when it comes to crowdfunding. Fintech above and beyond, probably in part due to the mass amounts of capital that has been flooded into that market globally. And the fact that that London and the UK is is kind of fintech capital globally, but equally the kind of consumer pain point of uh, retail banking, frankly. I think a lot of people want to create change in this space and back these sort of campaigns and be part of you know, the solution to bring better banking to customers um, and clients in the UK. And yeah, I think, look, it's just consumers wanting to back new trends, really. And that's essentially how crowdfunding evolves over time. It follows consumer trends. I I take you back to the BrewDog examples, like BrewDog raised via crowdfunding and subsequently Crowdcube and Cedars funded pretty much every craft brewer in the UK. Same thing happened with Monzo. Every single fintech then follows. And and these trends just flow through the crowdfunding ecosystem as waves.
0: In which sectors would like to see more companies taking on crowdfunding? And what do you see as a potential next wave after fintech?
1: Look, there's a few really interesting trends at the moment. I think as a business and, and as a responsible part of the funding ecosystem, we're, we're looking to back as many diverse founders as possible. One example of that is female founder-led businesses. And since founding in 2011, we've funded 220 plus female founded or co-founded businesses, raising over 100 million. And actually, female founders tend to have a higher success rate via crowdfunding as well, they tend to come in a lot better prepared and it's equally the same on the investor side over 25 percent of our investor base are female investors and you compare that again to other sort of types of investment then crowdfunding comes up above and beyond if we look at particular industries veganism and general plant-based solutions across multiple markets i think general health wellness well-being both tech and product the low and no alcohol space is something that's really picking up too. We've, we've done a couple recently and we've got plenty more in the pipeline for this year.
0: Yeah and what, what I love about Crowdcube is there's always a real range of things from vertical farming to low no alcohol products so there is a lot going on in just in that one sector which is very exciting. What really is the secret to a successful crowdfunding campaign and beyond the money what other benefits are there?
1: Yeah sure I think the most important point here and one that I can relate to because I was involved in the market at that stage was a lot of the opinion from VC and institution was that crowdfunding platforms were positioning themselves to disrupt the market. And I question whether that was ever a strategy. I think a lot of media was hyping crowdfunding platforms up to to do that. But I think in reality, and it's been the same ever since inception, crowdfunding platforms have always complemented The rest of the investment ecosystem. So, a crowdfunding round in itself would be led by, on a small end, high net worth or family member, frankly, for a seed stage round. And on the top end, like a free trade or a chip or a money box or a what three words, it will be led by a venture capital firm or private equity firm. And that model relies on those institutional triggers and drivers. And without them, crowdfunding wouldn't exist. So, I think that's a really important point that crowdfunding in itself complements the ecosystem and and what it's trying to do is actually create more value within the ecosystem itself so for the right VC partners and the right institutional firms they see the value in being able to leverage crowdfunding as a part of that that round for for either their portfolio company or, in a, or a current investment they're making. And to go into the detail of what that might look like, for a lot of businesses, they have that opportunity to go out to customer bases. And I think that's the most clear cut sort of value um, where they can drive lifetime value within that base by consolidating customers into shareholders. They can drive loyalty, they can drive advocacy, drive brand ambassadorship, and ultimately drive competitive advantage if you're in a very sort of tight market. And those sort of metrics are exactly the sort of metrics that VCs want to see. And they're exactly the type of metrics that VCs are investing millions of pounds for to see. So if you can combo an investment round with all of those sort of metrics, which crowdfunding brings, then then you've got pretty well-used capital, I guess. Again, the lifetime value of the whole piece, if nurtured correctly, can again be very powerful too. And I think that's an important point because... With a crowd round, you're taking on a lot of people into your business as customers, as fans. um, And that can either have a positive or a negative impact. A lot of them are there passively from an investment perspective, but they want to be able to talk about your company. They want to be able to shout about the brand. And if you don't give them that ability or you don't buy into the value of them being able to do that, then you won't get any of the benefit. And in fact, it could actually negatively impact the sort of forward looking potential of the makeup of that business. So it's complex, but I think broadly, you know, if you like the idea of building a brand and building a customer-centric brand, building one that people love and people want to be close to, then then crowdfunding is certainly certainly a very decent route to go down. And, you know, three of the UK's unicorns crowdfunded in their in their very early inception, and a lot of that attribution goes back to what do we want this brand to be and how do we want to build it and who do we want to be at the heart of that? And a lot of them are putting their customers first, which I, I think is super powerful.
0: Yeah. So that's when everything goes to plan. What's the biggest mistake that founders make when crowdfunding, even if they end up being successful? What's the rule number one not to do when when crowdfunding?
1: I think, look, preparing your campaign is fundamental. And I think however good you are, you can't expect people to find you organically. You need to go into the process preparing exactly who you want to see the campaign itself. It's not an easy process. And I think going going through that process, thinking that you know all the answers without listening to the platform that's done it many times is probably the biggest mistake. You, you need to be prepared basically. So you need to map out your audience. You need to prepare your comms strategy. You need to know who you're talking to. You need to have a very solid plan over the 30 days of executing when you're live on platform as well. Um, and look, sometimes things don't go to plan and there tends to be a, a few main reasons for that. The, the the top reason is valuation. I think it's um, something that crowdfunding has been scrutinized a fair bit for over the years is is lofty valuations. And I think, again, because we're married so much closer with the traditional ecosystem now valuations are dropping down to sensible levels but if you do go into that with the view that you're using crowdfunding to get high valuation then that could be a very key driver of failure I think just not giving the investor audience the respect that they deserve as well I think it's a very open forum you're going to be talking to lots of different people and you need to come across with empathy and understanding and that people are going to ask you difficult questions and it's a very intense process to go through. Yeah
0: I've experienced that recently we funded a company that that was listed on Crowdcube and the amount of time and effort it took from the founder in those forums answering the questions being there it was amazing really and, and credit to him he he put in a lot of time and had a very successful outcome. So the cutting edge of crowdfunding is around sort of secondary markets and creating more liquidity within the non-listed sector. How do you see this developing? And where are you guys at with it? And what do you think this means for the liquidity profile of early stage investments?
1: I think it's such an interesting topic, isn't it? And I think it's one that that many people talk with quite a level of passion. It's one that CrowdCube's certainly been well aware of for a long time. And we've had clients pushing us for it, investors been pushing us for it, the wider industry pushing us for it. And we've recently come out with a proposition for later stage companies called the DCO, which is a direct community offering. And this is essentially secondary transactions, but campaign based. So What we're doing is giving early investors, employees, founding teams the opportunities to realise a return, whilst also allowing the community, so our investor community, as well as customers of that brand to buy into that business. And this could either be a brand that has successfully crowdfunded before or one that's completely new to crowdfunding. Um, And we're typically looking at companies here who are... Positively trading, late later stage, looking probably at an exit in the, in the nearer horizon, but just don't want to go through that sort of traditional IPO process at that point. I think that for me makes a lot of sense, the later stage stuff because metrics are clearer, valuations are much, much clearer. There's a lot more robust elements to the business and Crowdcube have a slightly different view on the much earlier stage. And I think it is difficult for us to see a path forward with very early seed stage businesses listing on a secondary market. Because you know, for many companies, they go through cycles of investment and then completely pivot the business into another direction. It's very hard to build a priced market at that level. If you look at our main competitor, Cedars, 95% of it was Revolut shares. And I think looking at that, you can see that there is a large sort of demand for later stage, but there is a long tail of small ticket transactions for the earlier stage, which, you know, you've really got to question what problem are you solving at that level when you're, when you're transacting and trading £50 tickets.
0: Yeah. And I'll drop the disclaimer in that this is your opinion. And also, capital is at risk. We've all invested. <laughs> so it is quite a new thing and a number of players are trying to do it and, and accelerate it. What's your opinion on the regulatory side of secondary markets? Do you see that changing significantly within the next 12 months?
1: Yeah, it's... Not something that I've been personally super close to, but I can say one thing on the topic, which is that both Crowdcube and Cedars are working super close with all of the appropriate regulatory bodies on building out solutions that are going to solve problems within this marketplace. There's a level of pushing at the edges to ensure that we're continually innovating. And I think that needs to be the case in all markets.
0: I think generally liquidity is a positive thing it's inherently good for the ecosystem to have increased liquidity. So it is really exciting development. Jonathan, thank you so much. I think we've learned a lot about crowdfunding and the successes and pitfalls of crowdfunding campaigns. Where can people find you and how should they go about approaching Crowdcube?
1: You can hit me up on LinkedIn, just Jonathan Keeling. And approaching Crowdcube, you know, we're very approachable. We're a very friendly bunch. But LinkedIn's a good approach across our commercial team.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks very much again. Thanks for coming on.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, James.
0: This episode was recorded before Crowdcube and Cedars announced their merger. But we're delighted to say that we have secured Jeff Kaliski, CEO of Cedars, as a guest. His episode will be out on the 18th of November. And we will be discussing the merger then. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. next week's episode is with Vlad Tropko. Vlad has invested in some amazing companies, including drone blood delivery business Zipline and and many others. So it's a really great episode and listen out for that one.